You're listening to Meeting Pod, the podcast powered by Meeting Place, the premier magazine and news source for the meat and poultry processing industry, and Alt Meat Magazine, the only business information resource for the exploding alternative meat industry. Today's Meeting Pod episode is sponsored by Botter North America. Welcome, I'm Chris Scott, host of Meeting Pod and contributing editor at Meeting Place and Alt Meat Magazines. In today's episode, we're going to take a look at the current state of food safety protocols in poultry processing and examine recent regulatory adjustments that will affect operations at poultry processing plants. Our guest today is Dr. Christine Alvarado, whose 20-year career in poultry science has covered the arenas of academia, industry, and government, including serving as an expert at USDA's Food Safety and Inspection Service. She currently is Senior Food Specialist at ProSure Incorporated, and also spent more than nine years as a professor of poultry processing and products at Texas A&M University. Thanks for spending some time with us today, Christine. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. Now, poultry processing is notorious for its complexity and the number of opportunities for pathogens and other contaminants to be introduced during the production process. Can you give our listeners an idea of how difficult it can be for poultry processors to maintain standards that will help them keep food safety goals intact throughout their operations? Sure. I can say without a doubt that poultry processors really have it hard. I've worked in the industry before, as you said. I've worked in government. I've worked in academia. And there's just so many considerations when it comes to food safety. And I'm going to throw quality into the mix as well because I don't think we can leave out quality. I think they go hand in hand. But Mm -hmm. if we think about it, we have HACCP, prerequisite programs, sanitation, operational processes, customer specifications, employees, supply chain issues, labor issues, sustainability programs, labeling, consumer groups, and I'm really not including everything probably in that list, but this is all while keeping supplies available with options, consumer fed, and then doing it safely. So if we think about poultry processing, it's really a highly regulated industry. There's USDA FSIS, there's AMS, even if it's a voluntary program, it's still a component. There's EPA, OSHA, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a very highly regulated industry. And then to add a complexity to the situation, in most cases, if we take out cooked products of this discussion, then, you know, processors are making a raw agricultural product and all raw agricultural products have pathogens, right? There's a pathogen presence. In our case, we're talking specifically about salmonella and campylobacter. And, you know, in my opinion, we really can't produce a raw chicken without some kind of pathogen presence. Um, Bacteria are everywhere. So we have to, and I say we as a processor, I'm really talking about the industry, they have to balance supply and risk. And and that's where I think processors have it really hard. I'm also going to mention and throw out that they don't have a control over what happens to this product when it leaves their facilities. You know, there's consumers, there's restaurants. And they don't necessarily have the same food safety practices as processors to minimize risks. So poultry industry as a whole has done an amazing job in reducing risks associated with these raw agricultural products. But do outbreaks still occur? Yes. Can we always try to improve? Yes. But at the same time, we have the safest food supply in the world and we have these processors to thank for it. And that's an important point you bring up about what happens once the product leaves the factory. Can you outline some of the more recent advances that some poultry processors have implemented over the years to measurably improve food safety on the production line? 
think there have been some recent advances in things such as equipment. Maybe if we think about it from an ease of cleaning and sanitation, there's also been some advancements with equipment that make it easier for processors to apply those antimicrobials that they use, maybe in a little bit more of a complete coverage way for products. There's also been a lot of research in packaging, for example. Active packaging has come back up in, you know, research again. But I think overall, something important that I want to bring up with this question is really there's been a lot more advances in detection of pathogens when we compare to controlling or inhibiting pathogens. And that's, I think, where industry and processors really need help. Detection advances are great. They're a good thing to show us that we may potentially have a problem in a certain area, but we really need more innovation in controlling, reducing, and eliminating pathogens for sure. Now, do any of these qualify in your experience as being essentially revolutionary steps that the poultry processing industry has taken with regard to improving food safety? Revolutionary, I think, is a big word. And if you kind of go back to what I just said, I think we have a lot of innovation to do for controlling, reducing, or eliminating pathogens. But I do think some of these can be, I guess, considered game changers. I think packaging, even though it's been around for years, is relatively new to our industry and can really have an impact, especially if we think about some of this active packaging, which can scavenge bacteria or pathogens. Maybe even some work that's being done in packages right now where regard to opening packages. So to prevent cross-contaminations when people actually bring these packages back out into the home. As I said earlier, I think there needs to be a lot more funding and innovation in reducing, controlling, or inhibiting pathogens. But I think we're making strides and we're trying to figure out these ways where we can really help industry and consumers the most with regard to food safety. Now, what are some of the potential threats some poultry processors could face when it comes to maintaining high standards for food safety at their plants? I think there's some very significant threats and vulnerabilities we face today. Just a couple of examples, you know, we have a shortage of labor, we have a shortage of supplies. All of this is still, I guess we can call it remnants from COVID that the industry is still facing. And and those are two pretty big considerations and uh, vulnerabilities that the industry is currently facing. But I think another vulnerability that sometimes we talk about is that the industry, especially the poultry industry, is very siloed. So there's so many components if we think about it. We've got breeders, we've got live production, processors, further processors, we've got sanitation, food safety, quality, sustainability, management, accounting. And once again, I'm probably not mentioning all of those things, but sometimes they may not all work together as we would like. And I think sustainability is a big component of that. And it's a good example, maybe just to quickly share things like reducing water, reducing natural resources. These are all things consumers really want to see. And they're all great ideas until there's less water to wash chicken during processing or less natural gas to, for example, heat water during processing or sanitation, you know, to reduce fat and protein remnants and really get you know, the plant cleaned up. So how can we work together kind of to meet these consumer needs, these customer goals, and as well as industry goals of sustainability, but keep food safety out in the forefront. So there's a lot of demands on our industry. And once again, I think you probably realize that this is my soapbox is that we really need a lot of (laughs) new innovations to help processors. Absolutely. Well, let's take a quick break for a message from today's sponsor, Botter North America. 
Running at 70 birds per minute, the new Botter Breasty Boner 661 is specifically designed for the U.S. market to be a direct replacement for the industry standard dual manual deboning lines. The machine saves skilled labor by automating complex cutting and scoring processes while keeping you directly in control of the quality and yield through manual harvesting of the fillets and tenders. Realize the intelligent combination of man and machine. Contact your Botter representative to schedule a demonstration at poultry-us at botter.com. And we're back with Dr. Christine Alvarado discussing the challenges of poultry processing and maintaining food safety. Now let's take a look at the regulatory structures designed to protect consumers from becoming ill from eating contaminated poultry products. In a recent blog post, you raised the question of how many food safety agencies are currently needed when it comes to producing food for human consumption, based in part on observations from a former FDA official. What do you see as the future of regulatory procedures by FDA and USDA, specifically FSIS, either individually or working together? I think there's three scenarios. So, and I think you just kind of mentioned them. One is them working together. One is them individually. And then the other one is really to create a new food safety agency where there's just one agency dealing with all the entities regarding food. I think if USDA and FDA, and when I say USDA, I am talking about FSIS, but I think if they are to remain separate, this is Christine's opinion, and just based on my experiences um, in the last 25 years, but I don't think there will be many changes in how we view food safety. And I think 10 years from now, we'll be asking ourselves pretty much the same food safety questions. As far as how this could look if they work together, you know, based on previous observations and discussions and some of the previous, you know, discussions from officials, they can work together well at the top but maybe that same camaraderie is not necessarily present the closer we get to implant operations. And that can create some problems, especially, for example, in dual jurisdiction plants. So in the near future, I'm hoping that we can create this one food safety agency that, you know, has been talked about recently that is really risk-based and not so much based on commodity type. I also hope that this agency is not very political. I think food safety and politics should be completely separate. You know, a national security issue, we have to provide safe food to people here in the U.S. and we need to have it available and we need to have it at an affordable price, but I do think that politics should be removed. So how can this one risk-based agency happen? I think there's been a lot of discussions about it and I do think that that's a loaded question. I think there has to be a lot of strategizing and, you know, I definitely don't have all the answers here, but I think it can happen. It'll need a lot of work and a lot of strategy, but I can say that I think this one agency is a huge need, and I think it will ensure food safety well into the future. The goal of this new agency, I think, should be to look at risk assessment strategies by pathogen and the food associated with each pathogen across the entire food spectrum. So that's fruit, veggies, nuts, meats, poultry, you know, everything that is currently under FDA and FSIS right now would be under one. So, you know, I don't know what's going to happen moving forward, but I think Really looking strongly at developing a new food safety agency where all food is contained is really the way to move forward and in regard to food safety and risk assessment. And of course, in that potential infrastructure, the lines of communication and other types of on-the-ground interaction between people that are at the plants 
need to be part of that concept, right? Exactly. Yes. Yes, definitely. Okay. Okay. Terrific. Speaking of the USDA and FSIS, FSIS recently proposed declaring salmonella an adulterant in breaded stuffed raw chicken products, which the agency said is a step toward achieving a framework to reduce salmonella infections that it originally unveiled in October of last year. What do you think are some of the new steps poultry processors will need to implement in the wake of this proposal? So there's a lot in that question you just asked me. I think just to give a a little bit of a background, just to make sure we're all on the same page, you know, FSIS sampling data has shown reductions in salmonella in poultry products. Current approach really had not led to a reduction in salmonella infections. So FSIS has seen salmonella decrease by 50%, but the human rate illnesses have not decreased significantly. So, you know, here we are with the USDA Salmonella Regulatory Framework, and there's really three components to this framework. Component number one is really requiring establishments to characterize salmonella as a hazard reasonably likely to occur. So it's a HACCP term. It basically means, yes, there's probably salmonella coming into the processing plant at receiving from those incoming flocks. Those flocks should be tested before entering an establishment. So with that component one, some kind of target for salmonella at receiving is to be determined by the industry or by the facility, by the processor. And then the processor has to show that whatever antimicrobials are there in their establishment during processing will reduce salmonella. So to meet whatever final product standard that there is. So component two is really looking at process control monitoring. FSIS would really like to see the industry is really effectively controlling salmonella and they want to look at multi-point sampling and they want to look at some statistical approach to process control. And then the third component is really an enforceable final product standard. And this is kind of what you were referring to, you know, in the introduction to your question in the salmonella is an adulterant and breaded stuffed raw chicken products. And so This is where the agency is really considering implementing a final product standard of less than one CFU per gram in these raw stuffed, breaded, stuffed raw chicken products. Sorry, that's a mouthful. (laughs) To say it three times, (laughs) to say it three times, (laughs) I, I can switch up words. Anyway, so those are the three components associated with that. And going back to your question, I guess, of what new steps they're going to have to look at. It's really going to be a little bit different from everything that we have done to this date regarding FSIS regulations. So now we're we're really looking at live production impact on processing. We're looking at adding more process control and FSIS verification to what's going on in the plant to make sure we can decrease pathogen throughout the process. And then specific to these breaded stuffed raw chicken products, we're going to have an actual product standard. The problem with these breaded stuffed raw chicken products is that consumers consider them to be cooked, even though labeling has been changed. And so there can be some confusion with consumers. And that's where an outbreak has occurred because of that. So that's where we are. And that's what plants are really going to have to do and have to change coming up pretty soon with this new salmonella regulatory framework. Now, could this be considered a test for a specific type of product that 
that could be added to this list down the road? I think that that's the thought process is that if we declare salmonella or if FSIs declare salmonella as an adulterant in this particular product, could that then open up the floodgates to other types of products as well? So I'm not FSIS. I don't know what's going to happen down the pipeline, but I do believe that that is the thought process. Yes. Now, FSIS published a similar policy change in 1999 covering beef products citing the public health risk from beef contaminated with E. coli. That proposal noted that intact cuts of beef muscle, like steaks, should be distinguished from non-intact product like ground beef before they are distributed for consumption. Are there parallels between this earlier proposal and the one regarding salmonella in poultry? And what are the less obvious differences? So I think there are really not a parallel between E. coli regulation and salmonella regulation. But as an average consumer, I can see how there can be considered to be some parallels. So if we think about this and break this down a little bit, there is a huge difference between E. coli and ground beef and what USDA is proposing now with this framework. E. coli is a completely different organism from salmonella. So of course, we, yes. Yeah, if we look at some differences, you know, very low infectious dose, it can also have a higher death rate than salmonella. It can cause hemolytic uremic syndrome, which, you know, can cause some severe reactions and some organ shutdowns. In addition to the fact that there's different cooking methods to raw ground beef, for example, in a restaurant, they can ask you how you want it cooked, which by the way, as a side note, drives me crazy. Of course. Um, but <laughs> it can be eaten medium rare. People at home can undercook ground beef. So the E. coli could potentially be a higher risk factor associated with that. However, chicken is not eaten raw in the U.S. You know, yes, everybody knows it's a food safety issue, but it's also a texture and quality issue. There's just nothing appetizing about eating, you know, raw chicken. There's also over 2,400 serovars of salmonella and all of them can cause human illness. So there's been a lot of talk about can we focus on a particular serovar? But, you know, serovars change over time. We have shifts. And so it really can be a very complex, it can be a very costly process to declare salmonella as an adulterant, you know, across the board or even, you know, as they did with E. coli on the ground side. Also, ground beef, if it does test positive for E. coli, it can be sent off for cook. That's a little bit of some logistical issues. And I know I I may get some pushback on this, but I'm going to go ahead and say this because, well, why not? Salmonella is really not an adulterant per se in chicken because it's inherent to chicken. It doesn't make chicken sick, for example, like in pigs. It's a commensal organism. So it is considered part of a chicken, for example. So I think that that's what makes this a little bit more of a heated discussion compared to potentially the E. coli discussion that happened 20-something years ago. Okay. Well, you've answered my next question on what the regulators might need to do. So let's close out with this one final question. Do you believe that the industry is actually ready to implement the new procedures they may need to launch in order to make and meet anticipated food safety standard expansions as outlined by these regulators? Well, whether they're ready or not, it's coming. But I do think the industry is ready to deal with it and implement it. Um, So do I think they're ready? Yes. One caveat to that is, do I think that industry and FSIS really have enough science to ensure success and to ensure the overall goal of reducing illnesses? I think that's a different question. And for that one, I would you know, kind of have to put a no with a question mark. 
like, for example, and this is another one of my soapboxes, I think I've said several during the podcast today, but okay. how do we really measure the impact of live production practices on reducing salmonella in chickens? So this is component one of the framework. So how do we measure success? And right now, there's not really a viable way to do that now. I, I think that there's some ways that people are testing and they're looking at, but, you know, normally in live production, we measure cecal samples for salmonella. Well, cecal is not very indicative or highly correlated to salmonella reduction during processes. So do we look at feathers? Do we look at, you know, how do you rinse a bird? I mean, these are some logistical I think, challenges that we have in really understanding if we're being successful or not. So, you know, I'm not sure. I think industry is ready to implement. I think that there still needs to be some science to understand what success really means. And what those procedures actually need to be. Exactly. Gotcha. Well, thanks so much for sharing your insights with our Meeting Pod listeners today, Christine. And thanks to our sponsor, Botter North America, and to our listeners for tuning in this week. That's a wrap for this episode. Until next time. Remember to tune in on Mondays to get the inside track on the people and the processes that drive the protein industry. Be sure to subscribe to Meeting Pod on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow Meeting Place and Alt Meat magazines on social media, and be sure to visit our websites at meetingplace.com and altmeat.net.